You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. the standard. And we're in the, in the series, Lift Up a Standard. And we were in referencing Isaiah 59, 19, where it tells us that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. And so I want to ask us this morning, do we actually know what that standard is? Do we know what the standard that Jesus has lifted up? If we don't know the standard, how are we supposed to enforce the standard we know not of? And so I think for many Christians, we live beneath where God has said we should be living because we don't know that he already set us over it. He doesn't, we don't know that he actually already gave us victory over that, so we live under it. And we accept things in our lives that should be unacceptable as believers. As believers, we live to a higher standard, the standard that God has set for us. And as believers... I want us to make sure we fully understand what the cross and the whipping post actually accomplished for us. Amen? So in Hosea 4, 6, it says, my people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. So he's not talking about the unbeliever. He's not talking about people that aren't Christians, that don't know Jesus. He's actually talking about you and I. We are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. And so what I wanted to share with you today is that we need to understand, we need to know what the Bible says, what the standard is, what the cross and the whipping post accomplish for us. Because if we do not know that, how are we ever supposed to fully believe in full faith, believing that the full potential and the potency of the gospel is going to come to pass in our lives? Because we don't even know what to, what to expect or what to fight for or what to believe. And this morning, I'm going to be a little feisty. If you don't know me, I am a feisty person. And if I sound angry, I am not angry at you. i am actually been really angry at the devil these days because I have seen way too many Christians' lives being ravaged or have, that have been ravaged by the devil because they simply did not know what the standard was, what was in this word, what God had already paid the price for us. So I am tired of sitting across dinner tables and hearing how Christians' lives are ravaged by sickness that's unexplainable by doctors. I'm sick and tired of people living with, dem- with demonic attacks at night, with nightmares, with lack of peace and anxiety and depression. I'm sick and tired of the devil shunning down the truth that we do not understand and we are living way under where we're supposed to be so we are going to talk today about what that standard is and I'm believing we're all going to go out of here living it and not living under it amen so yes I do have a little bit of righteous anger happening right now but that's okay that's not unbiblical but I want to tell you first of all before I really dive into this is there is actually no judgment if you don't want don't know what the standard is yet or if you've been living under it Because I was one of those Christians for so many years whose life was being destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. And so I have been there. And so, again, no judgment, no shame. We are all on this growing journey together. And we are all in different seasons in this journey with Jesus. So hold on. It's a good ride. (laughs) But just last week, I was reminded of how important it can be and how impactful it can be in your life when you hear something for the first time especially for children, but adults as well. 
And so here's the thing, when you hear something for the first time, you've, you've never heard of it. So you have nothing else to compare it to. And so by default, that be kind of comes your baseline, your foundation of understanding of that particular area or topic. And if we never go research and discover if what was actually told to us was true, over time, you eventually, without even realizing it, believe that statement as your truth without ever knowing if it is the truth. And so we get to this place where because we didn't ever discover it was true, that's now our truth. And not only do we believe that as our truth, which is a false truth, we then now regurgitate that and reiterate our false truth to other people as if it was true. And then we will even argue with people. We're, we have the audacity to argue with people believing that our false truth is true and telling them that, what, that their truth is wrong when it's actually the truth. And so this happens in the world. We're seeing it all over the place. Our children are being taught things. The world are being shown things. And because they have nothing else to compare it to or don't do the research themselves, they believe it as the truth, but it's a false truth. And so I want to share a little snippet of my story with you and my journey growing up as a believer um, that I just want to give you a little bit of a warning. What I'm going to share today may be entirely contrary to everything you have been taught as a believer or have known about the Christian life growing up. So what I want you to do, I want to encourage you to not shut off your ears and shut down your brains and shut down your heart, but actually I want to encourage you to lean in this morning. I want to encourage you just to listen and to stay open. But at the end of the day, please do not take my word for it. Don't take my word for it. I want you to go actually see if it's the truth. Because if I can convince you with just my words, someone else can convince you otherwise. You need to know what is in the word of God. Because the word of God is a thing that is going to remain and where the absolute truth lies. Amen? Amen. So I grew up in church my entire life. My entire life. Very nice, very pleasant churches. Lovely people who loved God and were doing their best on this Christian journey. Uh, but what I realized is that we grew up living by Christian principles, but without any power. And so my whole life, growing up in churches, and even through my college experience at a Christian college, as well as into my adult life at the churches I attended, I was told things like this my whole life. That if you lift your hands in church to praise God or God forbid you ever fell over under the power of the Holy Spirit. It's actually ungodly because you're just trying to draw attention to yourself. I was told that sickness was from God. That sickness, if you were sick, it was God's will for you. Or that he was trying to teach you something. I was told that speaking in tongues was only for the early church. For them to help understand the gospel all in their own language. And it is no longer valid or relevant. And even alluded to the fact demonic if you operate in it in church nowadays. I was told that uh, demonic oppression from demonic spirits was something that you could not have or experience as a Christian. That the demonic became a, a no factor in your life once you were saved because you belonged to God. I was also told that a lot of these things, 
if we operated in those things, if someone operated in deliverance or speaking in tongues or the power of the Holy Spirit, it was actually a cult. And so I had a lot of strong false beliefs growing up. And it was really difficult for me because I found myself in a place in my 20s completely bound by paralyzing anxiety, uh, insecurities. I was depressed and I was sick in my body. And I was attending another powerless church at the time and they couldn't help me with anything. And I began to be hopeless. I felt depressed, like this was gonna be the rest of my life and that prayer doesn't work. And so I was in this place and I thank God that it was close to this season in my life where I actually walked into the doors of this church. And so, but when I walked into the doors of this church, I wasn't a really big fan because I just told you all the things I grew up believing that I thought were true. And so they were doing the exact opposite of those things. So I was like, this is a cult. Like, oh my gosh. I was like so anti everything. And so, um, but what ended up happening was I couldn't help the fact that my spirit felt drawn here. Like I felt alive here. I I felt like awoken here. I was just, I was, I felt that I was being drawn here and I would argue with God and I'd get angry at God if I'm being honest. My God, why are you drawing me to a cult? They are so unbiblical. And so I would argue with God, but I could not shake that feeling of being drawn to this church. So can you see how powerful those false beliefs had become in my life? Because I never actually sought out what the truth was, what the word of God actually said. So I not only believed my false truths as being truth, I could argue my face off and convince you that my false truths were the truth. Like I knew the scripture because every time I went to the scripture, I actually wasn't going to find the truth. I was actually going to the scripture to be right. And I was going to the scripture to reinforce my stance, never actually wanting to know the truth. But I couldn't shake the feeling that God was calling us here. And so I, because I was a good Christian, powerless one, but a good one, I, I was like, God, I cannot shake this feeling. So I really need to know if this is you. Like, I really need to know if this is you. And so what do I do? I fast for a week. I do a liquid fast for a week. And I shut off all the exterior voices from all of my religious friends that were also telling me this was a cult. And I went to the word of God. I, I needed to know now. I was not messing around. I went to the word of God. I fasted for a week and I dove into the scripture. And this was my prayer before I started this journey. I said, Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, remove any pride from me. Remove any desire for me to be right. Holy Spirit, remove from me any uh, biased opinions, any negative mindsets, any ungodly beliefs, and I, I want to know the truth. Will you please show me the truth? And I, I just, I, I went into the scriptures, and I really felt the Lord remove the scales from my eyes. And when I read the scriptures throughout that week, I would just cry, and I would cry, and I would cry, because I realized I had been deceived my entire Christian life. I realized I was living with things that should have been unacceptable to me, because I did not know the standard, and I did not know what the word of God said. And for the first time in my life, I had hope, I had peace, I had a whole lot of questions, but I, I knew things were going to change. I finally understood those scriptures that were written. Who are they written to? 
what was the context they were given. And I actually researched the truth and to just take other people's words for it. And so I'll tell you this, shortly after I had an encounter with the truth, my whole life changed. I was healed in my body. I was completely delivered from a spirit of fear and anxiety. In a moment, 10 years of torment was gone because I finally knew the standard. The standard we're to live by as believers and not just live by, but enforce in our lives. Amen? And so I'm not going to be able to fully unravel all those things I was told. And I know a lot of you probably have a lot of those similar questions. So I never want to leave people with too many questions. I want to point you to the truth. I want to point you in the right direction. So I would encourage you. I address all of those things in a message I preached in 2019 called Triggered. Because everything triggered me when I came to this church. Triggered by hands. Triggered by people amening. I was triggered by the fact that people were all attractive. I was triggered by people falling over. And I, I mean, I despised it all. So I actually, in that message, triggered, lay out every scripture and give you a biblical explanation for all of those things. So go search that message, triggered, and that will help you. But I'm only going to have time to, un my hope is that I have time to unravel, wow, three of those things. Because I, I want... And these are the three, I think, the big things that people have problems with with the church. And the three biggest things that I think the enemy has tried to attack and shut down in the Christian faith. And so the three things I'm hoping to get through this morning is an understanding of what the Word of God says about sickness and healing. The reality of demonic oppression in a believer's lives and how to deal with it. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And then we're going to take communion and we're going to pray. Uh, so the first thing, I want to talk about he healing. The things I was told was that, like, God gave you sickness. It was God's will, and he's trying to teach you a lesson. So let's first talk about his will. So in John 6, 38, God's will is this. It says, so this is Jesus speaking. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him, the Father, who sent me. John 5, 19 Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do, Jesus can only do what he sees his father doing, Father God, and what the father does, the son does also. So if we actually want to know what the will of God is for our lives in regards to healing, all we need to do is to look at his son, Jesus, because Jesus is God's will in action in the earth. So let's look at what Jesus did, what Jesus did here on earth, Matthew 4, 23. And he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Matthew 8, 16 says, when evening had come, they brought to him, Jesus, many who were demon possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. There is scripture after scripture, story after story in the Bible, and Jesus healed them all. And if Jesus can only do the will of the Father, we know that God's will for you is healing. That is the standard. That is the standard that the cross and the whipping post accomplished for us. I know some of you are probably thinking, well, yeah, that's because Jesus was the one praying for him. Good point, but not valid. John 14, John 14, 12 through 14 says this. 
Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he, you and I, will also do. And greater works than these, you and I will do. Because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in his Son. If you ask anything in my name, it, I will do it. So this is amazing. So as it doesn't have to be Jesus here on earth performing miracles. He gave us the power, us the authority to go and do everything that he did. And the Bible even says greater works will you and I do in his name. So when people say sickness is from God or it's God's will for you to be sick or maybe you even just accepted sickness as your lot in life, I don't know where they're getting that in the Bible. No idea where they're getting that in the Bible. Because Jesus, God cannot give you something he does not have. And if you actually believe it's God's will for you to be sick, you praying to God that you be healed is against his will. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. The standard is healing. Yes, can we get an amen? The standard is healing in Jesus' name. It's our enemy, the devil, who wants to steal, to kill, and destroy our lives. The Bible tells us that in John 10.10. He has come, it it says the thief, the devil, does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy your life. But I have come, Jesus, that you may have life and you may have it more abundantly. Sin, sickness, and death were brought into this world way back in the garden when the devil convinced Adam and Eve of a lie and they sinned and they separated themselves from God. So then sin and death entered the world. So it was never God's original plan for there to be sickness in the world or sin in the world. The devil deceived mankind and that entered in. So the signature is from the devil when you, when you look at sickness. So, but from that moment on, once sin and death entered the world, God instilled a rescue plan a rescue mission to not just save us and forgive us, but to heal us and set us free. And that rescue plan was Jesus Christ. That's why the Lord teaches us how to pray. When we pray, say, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Because God's will, there's perfect, there's no healing, there's no sickness. So we have to say, we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Why do we have to pray that? Because we have an enemy actively opposing to steal, to kill, and destroy our lives. So now there is opposition. We have an enemy here on this earth. That's why sometimes it feels like a battle to see God's standard and his promise and his truth come to pass. Because someone opposing it. So. I want to also, again, equip you because we need to know how to pray. We, know how, we need to know. I prayed powerless prayers for 25 years of my life, and you wonder why nothing changed. We need to know how to pray, and we have opportunities to learn how to pray at our men and our women's prayer meeting. You may not know how to pray with authority yet, but trust me, you will when you get to women and men's prayer. We have to understand that we have authority, and we have to call that authority into fruition in the earth. The Bible says that we have the ability to bind and to loose things. So we can bind sickness and loose healing. We can bind disease and loose 
freedom. Like we can do all of these things. We just have to know what the word of God says. And, and we don't have to be scared of this enemy or be threatened by him because the Bible says in 1 John 4, 4, you are of God, little children, and you, and you have overcome them because he who is in you, he is in you, is greater than he that is in this world, our enemy. We have authority over sickness. We can command it to leave and healing to come. Well, then why, Pastor Becky, does not everyone get healed? Good question. It's a very complicated answer with a lot of different answers. But there are a lot of reasons why people don't actually experience the physical healing on this side of eternity. And it could be so many things. Unbelief, double-mindedness. You declare you're healed, but then you say you're sick. Or negative confessions, you know, uh, word curses, generational curses, demonic oppression, spirits of infirmity. And to be quite honest, there are some people that actually don't want to be healed, believe it or not. We had an example of an older gentleman in our church that um, was bound to a wheelchair. He couldn't walk. And his caregiver was with them. And John was praying. And I believe John was praying. Uh, he got up out of the wheelchair. And he high-kneed it around the entire auditorium. He didn't just walk. He not just ran. He high-kneed it across the whole auditorium. And then everyone's screaming and cheering that he was healed. And then he goes and he sits back in his wheelchair. And we're like, come on, get up. You don't need that. Leave it here. And he's like, oh, no, 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 Lena, I, I need my chair. I'm like, wait, you were just healed. Why do you need your chair? And when asking further questions, what we realized was everything in his life was taken care of because he was sick. He got help from the government. His uh, caregivers were paid for. Every meal was brought to him. His medication was brought to him. And he had a nice little place to stay, all paid for because he was sick. So at the end of the day, he didn't want to actually receive the healing. He preferred the benefits that the sickness brought him. So there are some people that actually don't want to be healed. And I am very behind if that was. Really? Wow. Jeez, I talk a lot. So again, be equipped. John, Pastor John preached a message in 2017 that changed my life called Be Healed. He lays it all out, just what explains healing as a whole and why it may or may not happen on this side of eternity. I want to help you. So I want you to know today that while sometimes we have to battle for the victory to come, just like Pastor Michael was talking about in, in his prayer time, how powerful that Jesus had to suffer great defeat, what appeared to be defeat before the victory we already knew was going to happen, happened in, in his life. And so it's a great model to us to understand that it doesn't always happen overnight, that battles can still come. That's why it's, we're called believers, because we're called to believe. We're called to fight the good fight of faith. And so sometimes it's a journey. Don't give up on what the standard says. The standard is healing. And we will fight with you, and we will pray with you, and we will believe with you until we see the manifestation of the healing come to pass in your natural lives. Amen? Amen. The second thing I want to tackle, demonic oppression. So for 25 years, I had no idea that a Christian could be oppressed by the devil. I was told you that that wasn't possible. Can, can a Christian be possessed by the devil? I don't believe so because in Ephesians 1.13, it sell, tells us that when we get saved, that we belong to God. But that doesn't mean we cannot still be oppressed by the devil, okay? And so can I, I don't want like super mood music because I'm still going. Just stick with me, everyone. Okay. We're going to get some stuff done. I apologize in advance to everyone that I'm running behind. 
So I was tormented for decades in my life because I, I was always told you, it can't be, you can't be demonically oppressed. So there I was, completely filled with anxiety, depression, um, fears, irrational fears. They dominated my whole life. And I did everything to try to deal with those things. I read every book, I went to every counselor, and I journaled, and boy, did I journal. Yet I was still stuck. I was not set free. And when I actually went to the Word of God, you actually see that freedom from demonic oppression or casting out demons is one-third of Jesus' ministry. He says he always went out to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, and to cast out demons. So it's amazing that we're saved, we're forgiven. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. But don't just stop at salvation. Are you healed? Are you set free? That is the fullness of the gospel message, and it is a part of every believer's life. And just for, by a show of hands, just so we can, if someone's in here thinking this is not possible, after you were saved, did you get set free from any demonic oppression? Lift your hands. Yes. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. It's a part of the Christian journey, and it's a very necessary part. If Jesus spent one-third of his ministry doing it, you better bet it's an important part for all of us on our Christian journey. Amen? I'd been trying to solve a spiritual problem with natural weapons, which never worked. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And they don't just leave. Spirits of fear, depression, anxiety, death, grief, addiction, perversion, witchcraft, control, spirits of infirmity, they don't leave. They have to be cast out. They have to be cast out in the name of Jesus. And we have to know our authority. We have to know that that is true. We were doing a deliverance on someone in our church. There was a few of heavy hitters in there, uh, our deliverance team and Pastor John and I. And this person's family line for generations to generations was involved in heavy witchcraft. And they had a little uh, home in the woods where they actually did human sacrifices and drank people's blood over generations and generations. So when this woman finally encountered Jesus, she was saved, but she was not set free. She was tormented, constantly wanting to drive her car off cliffs, and she doesn't understand. She was levitating. All these things she did not want to do was happening in her life. And so we went in to set that woman free in the name of Jesus. And the heavy hitters were all, you know, going after the demons, and all of a sudden me and John thought we'd pipe in. So Pastor John, he just started going after the demon the second John spoke. This demon looked at him and she says, you have no authority. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and you know what? He didn't even flinch. He immediately, I want to get the scripture right because it was just so fabulous. And I can't find it. All authority. Oh, here we go. Yes. So right when the demon yelled at him, he didn't say, yes, I do. He goes, Luke 10, 19, I've been given authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions under all the power of the enemy. You will go in Jesus' name. He knew his authority. And the devil, the demons were testing if he knew. And he freaking fired back the word of God. And that woman got set free. Amen? We need to know our authority. We need to know that the standard is freedom. The standard is deliverance from demonic oppression. I want to talk quickly about the spirit of infirmity because sometimes people believe they need to be healed, but they actually need to be delivered by a demon. So in the Bible, when you look at the Bible, and again, look for yourselves, when Jesus encountered people that appeared to be sick, sometimes he said, be healed. Other times he cast out a spirit of infirmity. 
So we actually need to be able to discern what it is. Do they need healing or do they need to be delivered from a spirit of infirmity? Uh, Pastor John and I were uh, ministering in Tasmania in a beautiful church, but they didn't necessarily operate in the power of God, power of the Holy Spirit. And so after we preached and ministered, they invited everyone up, and everybody stayed, and it was Pastor John and I praying over everyone. And this older, very distinguished gentleman in a suit had been waiting, and someone told me, like, oh, he has this rare disease that's been passed. Like, every his, the three generations before had the same one, and no, none of his treatments are working, and he needs a miracle. And I kind of got a, uh, I don't know if this is a healing need. This might be a demonic deliverance need. So he came up to me, and he just started telling me about, you know, great-grandpa, grandpa, da, da, da. And I just said, can I pray for you? Because I discerned in that moment he had a spirit of infirmity, he had a generational curse and the spirit of death on his life. The moment I said, in the name of Jesus, I cast you out, spirit of infirmity. And he, right then and there, I didn't even need to get to the generational curse. I did later. The second I asserted my authority over those spirits, this very distinguished gentleman in his suit started screaming and a scream that was not humane. And he crumbled to the ground in a stiff heap. And at that point, his wife and many other people ran out of the room. But I was not going to leave him sick. And so I just kept going after the demons, going after the demons. And it took a little bit of time, but eventually he was completely on the floor, looked like he was asleep, and he took his, he just exhaled, and it was like he was at peace. And I knew he was set free. But then knowing he could be, yes, amen, knowing that he could be slightly embarrassed or confused when he wakes up. So he's laying on the ground, so I decided to lay on the ground next to him, and I had my face on the carpet waiting and praying. And when he opened his eyes that were full of tears, he said, what happened? What is going on? And I just looked to him and I said, you've been set free. You're not gonna be sick anymore. He had no idea that he was being tormented with spirits of infirmity. He'd been trying to solve a spiritual problem with natural medicine, and you cannot medicate a demon. You cannot medicate a demon. The standard is freedom. The standard is deliverance. Amen? The last thing I'll just close on, and I always run out of time with this one, speaking in tongues. But I need to address it because I think this is the biggest thing that churches have problems with and Christians have problems with that have grown up in religious churches, as I did as well. And so the reason why I feel like there's such an attack on speaking in tongues or moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, there's nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, gifts of wisdom, prophecy, words of knowledge, faith, healings, miracles, discerning of spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. So you can't actually deny that it's a legitimate gift. It's telling you right there. And it doesn't say once, you know, the Bible finished that tongues and interpretation of tongues go away and is no longer necessary. You're now adding to the scriptures. These are nine gifts from the Holy Spirit. So I feel like the baptism of the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit, has been shunned and shut down in churches. Why? Because the devil doesn't want you to have power. He doesn't mind you having church. He just doesn't want you to move in power. Because then you actually become an actual weapon for the kingdom of darkness. 
The Bible tells us in, in, one, in Acts 1.8 that when you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive power. And we need power to accomplish the things that God wants us to accomplish in this life. And I encourage you to read through the book of Acts. The disciples and followers of Jesus were waiting for a sign. He said, don't leave until you've been filled with power. They'd already been saved and baptized with water. They said, we baptize you with water, but there's one coming greater than I that will baptize you with fire and with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a separate situation for believers and they waited in that room and Jesus says don't go and be effective minister of the gospel until you receive power because you're going to need it so they waited in that upper room and there was power fell on all of those people like tongues of fire and they were all speaking in language they did not understand they were given their heavenly language and then they went out in power to spread the gospel to heal people to set people free and do the work of the ministry we need power There's way too many powerless Christians in this life. Who's going to set them free if we don't know how to get them set free? Who's going to help them understand that they don't have to live like that if we don't assert our authority and our power that God gave us with the standard, with the cross, with his blood? And I love that we get power. But that's why we have so many powerless churches even in this city. Is because they've quenched the Holy Spirit, which the Bible tells us what not to do in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. And you quench the Holy Spirit by denying that the gifts he brings are actually relevant. We would never tell God or Jesus, we don't need you to participate in our church services. But we tell the Holy Spirit that all the time. And I think the biggest trigger around speaking in tongues is the scripture in 1 Corinthians 14, 27 that says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or three at most, each in turn, and let them interpret. But if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. So everyone gets hung up on this interpreter thing. When you research the scriptures, this scripture was actually for someone that if I were to get up on the stage and I would just speak in tongues the entire time on the microphone, delivering a message for you. Paul even says, that's pointless. Why would you do that? I agree. How pointless? Like, you don't even know what I'm saying. So, so if I did that, if I had a message for you all and I spoke it in tongues, absolutely there needs to be an interpreter. Or else, what's the point of what we're doing? And so I agree. I agree with the scriptures. But that scripture is for someone giving a message to the church. If you are praying in tongues when we are having the book of miracles and you are believing for a miracle or believing for healing and you are praying in tongues and this person over here is bothered because you're speaking in tongues and there's no interpreter, the Bible says when a man speaks in a tongue, he speaks to God, not you. And so we don't actually need to know what they're saying. We don't need an interpreter because they're praying to God. And so, and you better thank them that they're praying to God because by praying to God in the Holy Spirit, the Bible says you're praying the perfect prayer. Praying the perfect prayer. So, and, and then people, well, why? It doesn't even make sense. I don't even know what I'm saying. Exactly. Because when we know what we say, sometimes we can screw it up with our lack of faith or our limitation or our ungodly beliefs or our doubts or our fears. So he allows us the gift of speaking in our heavenly language that he has baptized us with so we can pray the perfect prayer. It says we pray the perfect will of God every time we pray in our heavenly language. Why would we not want to do that? It's God's overriding system so we don't limit or screw up our prayers. Amen? So I, in the time that I overtook, I 
barely even scratch the surface of everything that the cross and the whipping post accomplish for us. I barely scratch the surface of what the Bible says the standard should be for you and I as believers. But that's why we need to be in the word, reading the word so we can know the truth. What does the Bible say about the standard that you should be living in, in your finances, in your marriage? What ground should be taking, you should be taking in your business, in territory, in buying homes, in all these things? God has a plan, but we don't know what that is, and we'll never fight for it and live with it unless we know the standard. So I'd love everyone to stand to their feet. And we're going to, I wanted to share this message and then take communion. Because sometimes I think we can just fall into the religious trap of taking communion. Okay, this is the week we take communion. We remember his body that was broken for us. Remember his blood that was shed for us. But do we actually know what we're doing? The standard that we are reminding the devil of every time we take communion. It's healing. It's freedom. It's deliverance. It's power. It's all of these things. And so I don't want us to ever take communion flippantly or lightly. It is the power of God to enter your lives to change everything. And so we're going to pray together. So if everyone wants to open up their communion cup, get the bread out, the little wafer, and then open the juice. I love that we sang that song earlier. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make you whole again in your body, in your mind, in your emotions, in your family, in your marriage, in your business? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So as we take this together, I'm just going to pray a prayer over you, and I would love for you to agree with me in your spirit that you are receiving the fullness of the gospel message, the fullness of the weight that the cross and the whipping post accomplished for you. And let's start living under that standard and enforce it until we see it come to pass in our natural lives. Amen. So God, we thank you for this powerful time of communion. God, we thank you for what you dying on the cross meant for us, what you did at the whipping post when you gave your back so that we are healed. God, I thank you right now that we are participating in the most powerful act as believers, reminding ourselves of what that accomplished. And I thank you, Father God, that we are waking up as believers this morning. God, we will accept no less than the standard that you have already paid the price for, the standard of victory in every area of our life. So right now, as we take communion, I declare in the mighty name of Jesus that we are healed by your stripes. We declare healing power wash over every single person as they eat the bread. They eat the body that was broken for us so that we can be healed. So, God, I declare the healing power fall upon your people today. And, God, as we take the juice that represents your blood that was shed for us, God, I thank you right now for salvation. I thank you right now, Father God, that you are setting us free from demonic oppression. God, you can do it in a moment as we remember the power of the cross, asserting your authority of the cross over our lives. We declare every demonic spirit of infirmity, of depression, of anxiety, of fear, of perversion, of wickedness, of addiction would go now in Jesus' name. You have no authority to stay. You can 
cannot stay. They are children of God who have Jesus on the inside of them that has washed every cell over by the blood of Jesus, the most precious commodity. I thank you, Father God, that people are being set free right now in their seats, in their hearts, in their minds, in their bodies. God, we thank you for this powerful act of communion and what it is now accomplishing in our lives as we remember. God, I thank you for your church. I thank you for the standard that we no longer have to accept things that are unacceptable for a believer. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.